Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson, and I'm joined by my recurring co-host, Roy Jones. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at a-o-l-s-e-n at a-l-t-u-s-m-k-t-g.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. I'm really excited to be here with Elaine Streno, the Executive Director at Second Harvest Food Bank of East Tennessee. Uh, you know, something that's really, I think, incredibly uncommon these days in the nonprofit sector uh, is that Elaine has been with the Food Bank for 28 years now. Um, you know, you just don't see that kind of tenure. So I definitely want to hear more about that in our chat today. But Elaine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Really thrilled to be here. Grateful for your time today and, and looking forward to your insights on leadership. Before we get into uh, the, the main questions of the show today, I'd, I'd love if you take a, just a minute to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and a little bit more about the work of the food bank. I don't know if it's a calling, but I always wanted to give back. Um, And I had this opportunity to apply for this job. Someone had told me 28 years ago, it would become as big as it is. I would have run the other way. It was a very small organization, but I've always had a ton of support. I have been in East Tennessee since 1983 and um, love East Tennessee. So to be, it's a thrill to work in this community doing what we do. Second Harvest is part of Feeding America. It's been here in uh, the East Tennessee area since 1982. And um, we have eight different feeding programs that um, with partners, I guess. We have a lot of connecting partners that help us feed the hungry directly. And we serve 18 counties, a very broad um, region, quite frankly, a lot of rural counties. And then, of course, Blunt and Knox and um, Anderson, which have little rural pockets, but um, just a different type of um, community that we have to work with. Sure. So I'm, I'm always really surprised when I see someone with the kind of tenure that you have in a nonprofit organization, because as you know, the the turnover rate is so high and the, you know, I, I think I saw recently that the average tenure is 18 to 24 months for somebody in our sector. What has kept you here this long? Well, I've just had um, an incredible support system, really, of a board of directors um, who listen and support me and support Second Harvest. Um, There have been opportunities to go to other affiliates. There are 200 food banks in the country, but I have just always loved the East Tennessee area, uh, raised our children here, and um, just never wanted to relocate. I I do believe that um, just because it's a nonprofit world that salary should be industry. Um, You know, back in the 60s, people got involved in the nonprofits because, you know, it it was a good thing to do. But um, I believe strongly that our staff needs to be paid what they could be paid in the corporate world because you need stronger personnel individuals. I've worked very hard on that. And my board has always supported us on that, too. Now, when we started, I will tell you, it wasn't anything. Um, It was an industry. It was 
hard to um, make payroll sometimes. And um, we had maybe five employees back then. We now have 48 employees, um, but we've worked very hard. And I'm very, very proud of everybody that's given blood, sweat, and tears to Second Harvest. They might not be here anymore, but um, anybody that's invested in making us stronger, I've appreciated. That's awesome. So I, I'm curious uh, to know what values you feel are most important to you as a leader and, and how do you ensure that, that you honor those values in the day-to-day -day leadership that you bring to the food bank? Well, one of the things the board has done and for me in the past um, 15 years and certainly in the past few is um, they have wanted me to take leadership courses. I didn't have any of this training when I started. I would, I wish I had known that in a leader, everybody's watching you. I didn't do anything dishonest. I just didn't grasp the fact that because you're running the organization, everybody's watching you. When you're not looking, they're watching you. I always have wanted to be known for integrity. I've always wanted to be known for um, values of support and love and really 60s stuff, you know, really caring about each other. And that's the one thing I've, I've really learned about myself these last 10 years. Um, we now have a leadership coach that she works with our leadership team. But I'll, I, you know, I, I didn't, I haven't done it perfectly all the time. I certainly wish I could take a few moments back of times when I've lost my temper and, you know, because you, you do forget that everybody's watching you. Um, but now I know, and I, um, I, I deal with it. We were talking, if I ever get so frustrated, you know, now I don't just take a walk around the warehouse and let's calm down. Let's figure this out because you are surprised, even though you've been doing this 28 years, believe me, they're surprises. Juggling is a really important part of nonprofit. I, I believe you just never know what you're going to get. And, um, that's one thing I've learned too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, you, you mentioned juggling and, and things changing. I mean, the last year and a half, we've seen a ton of change in the, in the sector, particularly probably for food banks, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, what have you done differently to, in, in the last, you know, almost two years now to help build and enhance culture in the organization while you've got all this chaos and people working remote and probably working extra shifts because of the, the needs been increased. Like how, how have you kept things together for the team in that time? Well, it hasn't been easy. I will tell you that because as you know, everybody has dealt with COVID differently. I felt strongly that I needed to be here every day, showing people that we are going to do this together. We, um, I will give my leadership team, our leadership team, complete credit. They were here every day. Some of our staff went remote, but our warehouse couldn't. We have bus, we have lots of vehicles, lots of drivers. Uh, we probably have a fleet of 15 and we were picking up food. So culturally, that's where I went. I, and quite frankly, I didn't want to be afraid. I didn't want to be afraid of this. I didn't want it to control me. Um, and again, we've had different perceptions from staff. Some people didn't want to leave their house, totally supported that, got them laptops, they're remote. 
and we're still remote, but all we are looking at a date to bring everybody back. When the pandemic hit our community, our demand rose 50%. Wow. So we were dealing with some really scary stuff. One of the things that's been always constant, the burden of fundraising has always been constant. Um, when we were a little, I worried about it. And now that we're bigger, um, but here's the wonderful thing about this community. Yes, it doubled. We looked at things differently. We structured how we distributed food differently. We um, worked with agencies that were closed down trying to get our trucks there. Um, in the beginning of, of COVID, I didn't know how we were gonna pay for this, but the support has been phenomenal, phenomenal. And um, we now have a surplus and I don't have to worry as much as I used to about where this funding is going to come from to distribute food differently. And it's been national. It's been nationwide, the support. So, you know, let's brag on the East Tennessee community because I love it. But all across the country, with all the strife and the chaos that we have had this past year, the giving has been up at every affiliate, Feeding America affiliate in the country. So there's compassion there and there's compassion everywhere. You know, I, I don't even watch the news anymore. I can't deal with it. It's so negative all the time. But I have seen the beautiful spirit of this community and other communities and wanting to help feed their neighbors. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I had Matt Hackler on my podcast just a few weeks ago from Feeding America. And he was talking about uh, the, the numbers he was quoting were staggering on the, the increase in giving across the country. And I think, you know, it's, it's such a testament to the American spirit um, and, and the generosity of our neighbors, you know, I mean, being in this business, you, we get to see it to some degree every day, right? But in times like this, where there's a crisis and you see such a significant outpouring, it's just really encouraging when everything else around you is tough, right? Yep. So I, I think it's a great story. I'm curious, you, you mentioned integrity earlier, but um, what are some other kind of non-negotiables for you as a leader? Honesty, for sure. And I want everybody to be at Second Harvest because they want to be at Second Harvest. Hmm. I want strong, positive attitudes. I want support of each other. We um, a, a, a food bank is a different animal because it, it's a warehouse with drivers and trucks and forklifts and pallet jacks. And then there's fundraisers and there's programming and there's, and it's called, um, there's a, we had a workshop on it a few years ago. It's called um, concrete, the concrete barrier because um, we're up, we're upstairs. The warehouse is downstairs. Um, you know, so Yet we had a little mini fundraiser yesterday. We was done way differently than we had done prior, but we were outside. We need a driver to drive the truck to get the equipment over. But, you know, we they don't know what we're doing sometimes. And so the communication part, which always comes into what I'm sure you've had it a million times in all these leadership interviews, the communication of what we're doing and where we are is important that I'd let the guys know, you know, what we're doing. Um, they don't get to go to those fundraisers um, unless they're driving a truck there. Um, so that that kind of stuff is really important to me. And uh, I didn't value it as much as I did in the beginning. 
because um, quite frankly, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and we, we were a very small organization and everybody knew what we were doing. But, you know, the number one um, challenge in any w corporate world is communication. And it, it, just because it's a nonprofit doesn't mean it doesn't have a corporate mentality. It does. Sure. So we try to communicate everything we do. And as we've gotten bigger, it's just gotten harder, you know, to keep everybody what we're doing. For sure. Yeah, a lot more to manage. Talk to me a yes. little bit about the, the biggest crisis you ever faced as a leader. And I'm really curious to know what you learned about yourself in the process. Oh, gosh, there's been a few. I think the biggest crisis, quite frankly, is having to um, let a couple of staff go that had helped build this place. Um, they, one in particular, um, it was painful. We had become very good friends. We had worked together for 20 years, 24. What had happened was she just couldn't handle the changes and it just became a very toxic environment. And she made everybody unhappy because she was always challenging everybody. What I learned about myself, I've struggled with how I did it. Did I do it well? You know, you um, you can't give somebody um, a warning on behaving better when you've given them so much warnings, you know? Yeah. So when the day came that it had to happen, it was very difficult. I'm a very loyal person. But I also know, you know, one thing you learn in this business is your biggest strength can become a biggest your biggest weakness. Yeah. And that's really what happened. I was I should have done it a few years earlier. Once we moved to this building in 2011, um, we had to hire more people. And that meant um, a, a lot of, you know, changes. And so they were hard on her. I think that's been my biggest personal crisis through this thing. We've had um, a flood and um, in the old building that was devastating because um, it ruined some of our employees' cars. They were out driving, you know, and that was a crisis of, but you know, the community gave, gave back. It was all over the media and um, they gave, they gave a, a huge amount of support. I'm trying to, I think the personnel part is always the most challenge and you learn a lot about yourself, you know, and it's a lot easier now, boy, in the beginning, it wasn't at all because I'm a loyal person and I, I appreciate everybody that's here, but there are some people that can't, that just shouldn't be here anymore, you know? And yeah. so that they had to go. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I can see how it would be the most challenging as well. Yeah, actually it's, it's really interesting. I was, I was going to ask you also about, you know, how you navigate, and maybe you don't see this, but I, I see often in organizations that I consult with uh, sort of a, um, a desire to keep the peace so we don't talk about the hard things. And instead, <laughs> they just sort of fester until they get so bad that you're faced with a crisis like that. Do you, do you see that in your organization? And, and how, do you, how do you navigate that to keep it from becoming a problem? Wow. Yes, we do see it. My leadership coach has helped me a lot and with the leadership team. But just recently, it seemed that we had a staff member, a very prominent staff member that just wasn't giving me any loyalty or second harvest, mm. any loyalty. I didn't know it, but there was a lot of backbiting. Um, that one wasn't painful to let go when it, had, when it happened. 
but it seems that no matter what, there are going to be a few people that love to just chat about negative stuff. Sure. And so I just always preaching, if you have something to say, go tell the person that has it's bothered, you know, just that. Can you talk to me about? Yes, it's going to be a difficult conversation, but it's about growing up, too. You know, um, it's so easy. And I tell I tell them all the time. It's so easy to run it. And it really might have bothered them. But did they go tell Joe? No. You know, it's like so. And I don't know if that will ever end. Some people are great at their job, but just love to take that gossip to another level. I'm, I'm trying very hard to get rid of all of that. I always want my door to be open, you know, but I know um, I certainly have learned in the last few years that um, you know, some people just aren't comfortable talking to me. You know, it's bothered me because I'm a really friendly person and I love to chat, but they're just they're not going to come in my office and let me know what's wrong. You know? Yeah, I, I've, I've struggled with that myself. I, I, and I keep saying to people, wait a minute, I think I'm a nice person. Like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why can't they come talk to me? But yeah. it, it, yeah. I think some people are just you know, whether it's by kind of internal wiring or, or maybe past experience with other bosses where there's just this, there's a wall and there, there's a level of discomfort. And, you know, so I don't, I don't know about you. I find myself trying to get out and, and ask the question. And even, even if I know they're not going to be comfortable responding, you know, I feel like it, at least if we take the step of asking and seeking out feedback and seeking out input, right. that maybe someday they'll realize, okay, yeah, you know, she actually means it. Uh, I'll come sit down and talk to her now. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Particularly in the last year or so, you've been working at Breakneck Pace. Um, you've probably spent a lot of weekends and nights working, just like the rest of your team. Um, what are some ways that that you've found to like, you know, be able to personally unplug to manage your home life, to take care of yourself physically and emotionally, in the midst of all the stress and chaos. I'm I'm married to the most wonderful person in the world. And I, 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 this is my second time around. I didn't get it right the first time. So my life has become much more peaceful with a support system that I have at home. I am diligent about my workouts. I am, I absolutely need to get to the gym before I get in here or at least walk my neighborhood. Um, you know, just, got to get that right. I, it's just been part of me really since I started. I just need to get that. My It's easier when you're working out to solve some problems. It's kind of like when you're in the shower and you have an epiphany, you know, I, I, I'm, I have a great support system with my family. My, my, our children are adults now. Um, they, no, nobody lives here, unfortunately, and we have two grandbabies. Um, but we have a bit, a great um, support system with great friends. And um, I, I just feel very lucky that I have that kind of support system. You know, you really, they tell you, you can't be friends with people you work with. I, I do believe that you do, there's a line there, but I do feel a tremendous amount of support from our leadership team. And of course I've mentioned my, our board of directors too. Yeah, that's awesome. So Elaine, last question before I let you go for the day, I, I would love to have you know, one piece of advice or insight that you found valuable throughout your career that, that you would want to pass on to some new or emerging leaders that might be listening to this conversation? I, I think it's very important to keep the humility 
I guarantee you there is not, you know, you can, you can get a very big head, but something is going to occur in your life that's going to knock you down. I didn't get here by myself. I had a tremendous amount of support. Um, and, I, and I just believe you should be humble. Um, this is a gift. As far as I'm concerned, it's a gift from God. And I want to use it well. When I, get, when I said this earlier, I mean it. People are watching you. If you tell a little white lie, it's going to come back to haunt you. And you're going to lose their trust. And you're going to lose their respect. Amen. And, yeah. you know, you just cannot... If you are an emerging leader, just know that everybody's watching. Don't don't get ahead of yourself, because you, you there there will be things that that, that are going to hurt. That you know, great insight. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you welcome. sharing with us. Um, You're welcome. If, some, if someone wants to know more about the food bank or or reach you directly, what are the best ways for people to do that? Yeah, so our website is the best. Secondharvestetn.org. Find out more about what we do. If you want to email me. Um, Email me at Elaine at secondharvestetn.org. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Um, I mentor upcoming UT students, leadership, you know, and um, so I've done that a lot and um, enjoy it. I'm on the end of my career. I don't know how many years left, but um, enjoy giving anybody any wisdom that I might have for them. Would have appreciated that kind of wisdom when I started for sure, you know. Have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site. Well, thank you <laughs> so much for, for being with us today. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you.